Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Last week, the Australian Bureau of Statistics released the census data. It was interesting. I love this um, time of, what is it, a five-year period every time the census comes out. I find it really fascinating. I'm a stats guy. I love it. Um, and I was, uh, I was pouring over it. And a lot of the headlines, the, the grabs, the big changes were about religion in Australia. Let me read you some of the stats. 52% of people in 2016 said they were Christian. They identified as being Christian, Catholic, Protestant, whatever else, 52% Christian, down to 44% last year, 52 down to 44. Now, 40% in 2021 reported that they have no religion, and that's up from 30%, a jump of 10%, saying no religion. Now, of all the questions that the census asks you, this is not compulsory, the one on religion, because it's such a touchy subject, because people um, don't want to talk about it, even though it's a kind of anonymous survey. It's not anonymous, but your data isn't shared um, unless you're a conspiracy theorist. But 93% of everyone who filled out that census form on a Tuesday night in August answered the question, the voluntary question on religion. The other stat that I found interesting about this was that one in two millennials, millennials being people born between 1980 and 1995, I'm one of them, young adults starting to have families, so on and so forth, one in two millennials said they have no religion. People like Re, who might have been brought up in church, walked away, whatever it might be, and now coming out and saying, I don't have a religion, I don't identify with any of the religions or Christianity or whatever as I have experienced. Interesting times to be a Christian. It's not hard. I'm not going to say it's hard. We live in Australia. It's a good part of the world to live in. As Christians, we're very safe. I don't want to say that, but I do want to say that it's just it's a changing landscape. We're also a couple of weeks into uh, a new government where we don't have a, a Pentecostal prime minister who's very open with his face, faith, not face, faith. <laughs> um, we have a guy who is Catholic, nominal Catholic, and so he's publicly said that, but he doesn't uh, hold his religion out there in the public sphere like our previous Prime Minister did, rightly or wrongly. And our previous Prime Minister was accused uh, for being a hypocritical Christian, rightly or wrongly. And in other news, we look abroad and we see America and just the, the wash-up of this Roe versus Wade case. Huge, huge precedent. Just turned a whole nation um, against each other. One that's rallying between um, political sides and, and, uh, and religious sides anyway. But even more so, there's more hostility, there's more argument, there's more debate. And, and we're experiencing that here in Australia right now in the wash-up of that. There's protests, there's, there's more activity uh, in the media about um, the, the subject of abortion. And so... In reading these articles, I'm seeing religion, Christianity in the papers, in the TV, in the media. And now in these days, 
commentary from punters like you and I. We can get online and we can talk about our opinions and our feelings and what we, what we think about these issues. And this is what I'm gathering. This is the common narrative that what I'm gathering is that people who are saying things against the church, they're saying that Christians aren't authentic. They're not genuine. They're hypocritical. They're more about the negative than the positive. They're more about what you can't do rather than what you can do. It's all about rules. It's all about confining and restricting your life and removing freedoms, removing freedoms. This is what we're dealing with as Christians. And when I, when I have conversations, real-life conversations, not online, real life with friends over the years who've walked away from Christ, people who I've gone to youth group with or church or whatever, they say, I'm done with hypocritical people, Andrew. I'm done with the church. I'm done with the facades. I'm done with the inauthenticity. I'm done with hypocritical people. That's their opinion and that's their experience. And whether I want to refute that or not, I, I never really know what to say there. I often just kind of mutter out a little bit of an ap- apology and, a, oh, there, there, that sucks, but, and try and get them back into um, thinking differently. But it, it doesn't always work because we're not dealing with logic here. We're dealing with the heart of someone and a damaged spirit or a damaged soul. And I I never really know what the answer is to all of this. I don't know if they're sick of church. I don't know if they've changed their minds about God or about people or about Christians or about church or whatever it might be. Um, I don't even know if they really understood Christianity in the first place. I don't know. I don't know if the media or common conversation in society has has influenced them so much that uh, they've talked themselves or thought themselves or felt themselves out of Christianity. And I don't even know if the remaining people in that 44% who are still going to church and believing in Christ are even genuine. I don't know if the people that were, who are saying that they have no religion were genuine before. I don't know. We really don't know. Stats don't always reveal what's on the heart or they don't ever reveal what's on the heart. Um, but I do know, I do know that we don't always have to rely on these statistics and what's going on in public forum to understand what's going on in the hearts of Christians who are in church, who are serving God, who are being faithful, who are having conversations in their workplace and over their backyard fence and whatever else it might be. They might be praying for their relatives who aren't in church or don't know God. That is the activity that stats and the media do not show and will not talk about. And I take comfort in that. And so I think about how Christianity started. And we can read the Old Testament and there's a legacy of God and his people there. But we go back to Palestine and Israel 2,000 years ago and there was Jesus. There are his 12 disciples and there were mates beyond that, promoting the teachings of Jesus, living the ways that Jesus lived. People like Peter, people like Paul who had this heart change and who wanted to spread the good news. And they took ground by hundreds, by thousands in different meetings. And they just lived a godly Christian life that was authentic. And that's, that's what I'm getting when I, when I switch, switch on the news. That's what I'm getting, that the world is crying out for authentic Christians. People, the world loves Christians. 
a, a great Christian, an authentic Christian, a genuine Christian, a Christian that is living a Christian Jesus-influenced life, they're the best people to be around. You guys are amazing. I love yous. You're great. And everyone who has met a good Christian will generally come back to the point to say, yeah, they're not a bad bloke. Yeah, she's a good girl. They go to church every Sunday. They may think that we're a little bit weird or whatever it might be. That's fine. That's their opinion. But, but, give me a genuine Christian that is promoting their faith and living a glorified life in Jesus and people won't knock that. People respect that and that's what the world needs, people who will live a godly life in public and influencing people for good. You know, Christianity is the most authentic thing that we have on this earth. I I genuinely believe that. People, People will often think it's the most awful, not the most authentic. If they choose to believe that, you know, they see royal commissions, they see uh, negative media portrayals, and they think Christianity, boring, inauthentic, awful. But I don't see that. When I look at Jesus and the way he lived, I see someone who called out inauthenticity. If that's a word, is that a word? I don't know. I don't know. It is a word? Yeah, we're going with that. Okay. Inauthentic people, he calls out, and he says, And he calls out particularly the Pharisees. So the most religious people of the time. He gives seven woes in uh, in Matthew 23. Seven woes. A couple of the woes are he calls them uh, dirty cups and dishes where you wash the outside but the inside's dirty. So they had this show of religion and this show of piety but inside they're just rotten. And he goes on to call them whitewashed tombs which means that on the outside they're beautiful and glorious and they they celebrate life, but on the inside they're dead. It's a corpse inside. And he he calls out the Pharisees. He also has a go at at rich people as well. Now, that's okay, but in in these particular circumstances, particularly in, in Luke chapter 18, he calls out this rich young man who wants to buy his way into heaven and salvation. And Jesus goes, you can't do that. That's not the product. It's not a product to buy. Christianity is something that is authentic and is of the heart, and that is something that you can't change. So Jesus came to overturn inauthenticity, and he hates people. Sorry, he hates it when people are inauthentic. He doesn't hate people. Whoa, that was a sliver. But his lifestyle on earth really confirms that he just really did not like inauthenticity. And so when he goes around and he he hangs out with people who need a touch of of the kingdom of heaven, adulterers, sinners, tax frauds, whoever else might be, people who need uh, salvation, people who need healing physically, he he goes about life loving them and calling out people who are inauthentic. And I think that that is an amazing, amazing example of how we can live today. I was talking to a lady uh, who attends this church, talking to her this week, and she was just talking about how there's a lot of people that God has put in her life that need him. And so this lady 
has just is was just telling me this recount of a few things that have happened over the past couple of weeks. You know, um, friends, family members of friends who who need prayer for whatever reason. It might be healing, it might be um, hard circumstances, and she just finds herself right there when these friends just go bleh because they know this lady is an authentic Christian, a lover of Jesus who will pray for people who need prayer and who will stand in the gap and help them as a Christian. And so she was saying, and I need to read this word for word, she says, God just keeps putting people in my life to pray for. I have to be bold when I tell them about God, but they gratefully accept my prayers and listen to what I have to say. I love that. I absolutely love that. And so she was just telling me this over the phone and I just thought, isn't that really cool that she just can't, it, it was, the way she was recounting it was like she couldn't escape these opportunities that God was putting in her place because she's just so faithful with them. And so I've had a thought this week. I've had a few thoughts. I don't have a lot of thoughts all the time, but I'd like to share a few thoughts with you this morning. How to be an authentic, genuine Christian. Well, one way is to admit that we're sinners. Yeah? When we admit that we're sinners, we reset our hearts and we put it into humility mode. And that connects us to God. That puts us at the throne of heaven. And it allows us to remove ourselves from our humanity whilst accepting the base of our humanity, which is sin. We are sinful people. We all sin. I'm saying we, I'm not saying you, I'm saying we, because we are all sinners. And when we confess that we are sinners, we elevate ourselves into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want to say that we have to confess our sin to everyone, but we have to show that we are sinners. It would be really weird if we were just going to work in the morning and we thought, I had to confess all my sins. And so you're telling Kevin in accounts payable that you had a fight with your wife that morning and Kevin's looking at you going, what's going on? Why are you confessing your sins? And it would just be weird, right? Don't be a weird Christian. Please don't be a weird Christian. We can, be, we can confess that we are sinners without having to confess our sins to everyone. We just have to be real. You know, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian admits that they're a sinner. That's the difference. Christians, non-Christians, they're still sinners. We're not holy. We're made holy in Christ, but we're not holy because we're a Christian. We're made holy because we walk the Christian life. So I don't want, as a Christian, I don't want to pretend that I'm a sinner, but I want to intend not to be a sinner. I'll say that again. I don't want to pretend that I'm not a sinner, but I want to intend that I am not to be a sinner. Sin is so binding on our lives, but confession is so freeing. I've, um, I've been caught up um, in the media storm this, this week of, uh, of Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios. We've got a Kyrgios fan in the house. Um, you, you would know, Pastor Bron, studying Greek at Bible college, that Kyrgios means king. So that's why he gets his nickname, King Kyrgios. He's not a leader that I want to get behind. He is a goose. Isn't he? Can I say that from the platform? He's <laughs> un-Australian, we heard, through a cough. He, he's a bit of a goose. But people love him. 
and I don't know why. I've seen him live. I've seen him bounce the ball, get ready to serve, and someone said, we love you, Nick. And he's like, shush. And, and he just he engages with the crowd unlike anyone else. And the way he treats the media, oh, that is so good to watch, isn't it? Oh, he's just, he's a, he's a media person's dream just because he's so unpredictable, he's so unconventional, and he just doesn't care. And I've been trying to, like, I, I don't know, I, I think I'm going to watch him tonight or tomorrow morning on replay, I don't know, depends. And I, I can't work out whether I like him or I don't, and that's totally fine, but I'm trying to work out what's so compelling about him. Why is he so interesting? Because he's been a perennial underachiever despite his talent, but he's, he gets the most media attention out of anyone. I'd rather hear from Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, who are more interesting and better tennis players and maybe better blokes. I don't know. God loves Nick Kyrgios. That's fine. And some of us love him, some, some fans. Um, but what I, what I thought is that people love him because he's authentic. Like, he just doesn't care what people think. He knows he's a tennis bad boy. He knows that he's a rule breaker. And he just embraces it. And there's something really Christian about that. There's something really Christian about going, you know what? I keep stuffing up. I keep breaking the rules. And I'm going to own that. And he just, he's just so free in the way he relates to media and relates to people and just calls out people like Djokovic for being an anti-vaxxer. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Um, in speaking with the Corinthian church, and that's a church full of sinners, right? They were doing some dodgy stuff. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Confession is all about admitting weakness. But ironically, confessing sins and admitting that you're a sinner brings about strength out of that weakness. Humility isn't something that's weak. Humility is something that is strong, right? It's empowering. When we are humble, when we admit our sin, when we admit that we are sinners, humility gives us a strength out of our weakness that only can be attributable to God. So there is nothing more genuine or more authentic than admitting that we need God. And by admitting that we're sinners, we admit that we need God. Another thing I've thought about this week, how to be an authentic Christian is to be devoted to God. So King David was arguably one of the most devoted followers of God. Wrote the Psalms, or a lot of the Psalms, not all the Psalms, but a lot of the Psalms. He's also one of the biggest sinners in the Bible. You know, if he'd be number one contender for biggest sinner in the Bible. He's got a rap sheet that goes for pages and pages. But his legacy is that he was known for glorifying God, despite the wicked stuff he kept doing. And his son Solomon 
didn't have as long a rap sheet. But I find this really interesting when I read 1 Kings 11. And so Solomon in 1 Kings 11, it's not going to be on the screen because I'm just paraphrasing, summarising for us all here this morning. But Solomon, it says in 1 Kings 11 that he had 700 wives of royal birth. So basically every princess in the world he decided to marry. That's a lot. And 300 concubines as well because 700 princesses that he was married to wasn't enough. So he's got a 1,000 ladies. He was known as the most wise and the richest of kings in all the world. He had it all apparently. And his father David had a lot of that but not in that great a measure. Solomon was the beneficiary of generational blessing that God promised in 2 Samuel 7 in the Davidic covenant. We're not going to go in too deep into this. It's not the 8.30 service. Relax. It's fine. We're not going to do too deep theology, but I need to touch on this. And But, but in 1 Kings 11, God puts two adversaries in front of Solomon to try and kill him. And God says to Solomon in 1 Kings 11, that because Solomon allowed his wives to worship other gods, his heart got led astray from God. See, where David committed more heinous sins, he kept coming back to God in confession and in practice. And then he'd go off and make another mistake, but then he'd come back to God. And then he'd go off and make another mistake and then come back to God. And they were really bad. But what kept happening was that he kept devoting himself to God. But Solomon didn't. And so while Solomon didn't commit as great sin as his father, he actually had a lot of the blessings of God taken out of his life and God disciplined him for that. Be devoted to God and stay devoted to God. Psalm 34, 8, 10 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I love it. That's a psalm of David. And he says, taste and see. Two senses, taste and see. When you use your senses, you remember things better, right? So when you taste what the Lord has and you see what he's done and what he's doing in your life, that's one way, two ways, two senses where you can still be devoted to God. It's a reminder of what God has done in your life. And David kept coming back to that. He had that taste of God in his mouth. He had this, the sight of God, the memory of the good things that God did in his life, and he kept coming back, even though he turned his back on him. So our sinful nature often skews our course, but through prayer and confession and Bible reading, we can maintain our direction and devotion to God. Another thing I want to talk about in terms of how to be an authentic Christian is to live like Jesus is right beside you. Live like Jesus is right beside you in every moment, in every day, because he is. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's right beside you. He's going before you. He's behind you, pushing you along. He's supporting you from the side. A couple of weeks ago, I was picking up my three-year-old son, Quinn, little, little guy from daycare. 
and um, it was right on closing time. I always make sure I get value for money, so I'm there when the doors open and, uh, and there when the doors close. So I don't always get the opportunity to talk to the educators. But on that day, I got there with enough minutes to spare and, uh, and the educator was telling me about what happened at lunchtime. And so she's recounting this story and Quinn's sitting at the lunch table and they're all, all these little three-year-olds are sitting at the table waiting for their lunch to be given to them on a plate and the plate's put in front of Quinn and Quinn is sitting down and he just looks at his lunch and he's got this long face and with this tone of disappointment, he just says to himself as he's staring at his lunch, we don't say grace at daycare. And, and the educator was recounting this story with a bit of like fear in her, like I was meant to be angry at her or offended because she, she said, oh, I didn't know you guys were Christians and we can say grace at lunch if you really want to, like if that's really important to you. And she was saying it like I would be totally offended that she wouldn't celebrate my religion or that she was ostracising me because I'm now a minority, apparently 44% people go to, yeah. And, and I thought, this is funny. I actually really enjoyed hearing that story. And so when I laughed at her as my immediate reaction, I said, that's fantastic. She just was really puzzled because she expected me to be offended. And in, in Quinn's mind, he, he says grace at home. And we, we do cafes and restaurants, not saying you have to do it this way, but this is just what we do uh, in our family. And at daycare, that's the only place where he doesn't say grace. And so he's trying to work out that, hang on, well, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't everywhere. Maybe people aren't Christians everywhere. And so he's just trying to grapple with that right now. And we had to explain it to him that, you know, not everyone goes to church and, and we, this is just the way we do things. And you may not say grace at daycare, but you can say it in your head. And so I, I love the fact that a three-year-old understands that your whole of life can be devoted to Jesus. And we lose that as adults. But he, in his own little way, was living like Jesus was right beside him. He was genuinely disappointed. And so when we live like Jesus is right beside us, we bring him into our everyday. He's not so much watching us. He's not monitoring us. He's not there with a scorecard or watching you on closed circuit TV going, mm, are they living a good Christian life? Are they glorifying me? He's not doing that. He's just there supporting us. And when we have moments where we get to show the love of God, we glorify him. We illuminate him. He's right beside us. He's behind us. He's before us. And when we're doing things for Jesus, when we're admitting that we're sinners, when we're living authentic Christian lives, he gets glorified. And so we, we build a natural Jesus rhythm into our life. We're not just Sunday Christians. It's not Christian day today. Christian day is every day. Christian day is every moment. Every moment that we live can be a Christian moment just by being authentic. We don't have to preach. We don't have to pray. We don't have to confess sins all the time to everyone, wherever we go. But we just need to be real humans 
that have the love of God inside of us, that have the Holy Spirit illuminating in us and glorifying Jesus as we go about our everyday, when we're hammering nails, when we're seeing sick patients, when we're pushing papers in accounts payable departments. We can be Christians who are authentic and are showing this amazing Jesus in mundane, everyday rhythms. And that's what people want to see. People want to see Christians being authentic. People have seen and heard enough Christians saying, well, I don't believe in sex before marriage and I don't believe in same-sex and I don't believe in... And all these, all these finger-shaking Christians who will say, well, it's, not against, it's against the will of God and that's a sin and you need to get out of your sinful life instead of standing in the gap and praying for people like the lady I was telling you about before like people who will go and see and help a neighbour, like people who will just sit and pray for situations around the world, just in their living room, that are making choices every day for the kingdom of God, to highlight the glory of God, to bring Jesus into the everyday. That's what people want to see. That's what people haven't been seeing. And so when we, when we see the media to say, and we see the, you know, the very vocal, non-religious people in the public going, yeah, well, Christianity is not real. It's because they're not seeing it in their day-to-day. And we as Christians need to be authentic and we need to be real and we need to be obvious enough so that we're highlighting and glorifying Jesus. 1 Peter 1.7 in talking about hardships, says these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus is revealed. Did you know that your faith gives praise, glory and honour because it reveals Jesus. Did you know that? If you have that thought as you're going about your day, that changes the way you act and interact with other people. When you realise that every word you say, every sentence you make, every action you do can bring glory to God, that is when authentic Christians take ground. That's when authentic Christians change lives for God's glory. And that's the big idea, that Jesus shows his glory and honour through us. When people see that, when people see that Jesus is shining out of us, how can they not be compelled to join the team? How can they not be compelled to find out more about Christ? How can they not be compelled to open their hearts and take salvation, take healing, take eternal life? When we read the Scriptures, we, we read about a Jesus who touched lepers, forgave adulterers. He dined with tax frauds. And they're the big sinners, apparently, according to the day. But He also sits with the ladies today that have had an abortion. He sits with the men of today who are trying to give up the drink. He sits with the people who are under their third, fourth and fifth marriages because of misconduct. He sits with the kid who's trying to figure out who they are. 
He sits with all of those people. He converses with critical thinkers. He can outsmart them. He can sit with anyone and change any life because He's so powerful. And His power moves through authentic Christians. When we allow that to happen, the Kingdom of God explodes. It goes nuts. We read about revival. We see changed lives and we think to ourselves that could happen at any given time, in any given place, if Christians are being authentic, if we're not muzzling the power of God, if we're opening up our hearts, if we're being the hands and feet of Jesus, if we're going about our daily life like He is right near us, like He can be glorified through us, then people will see that. And I I believe that. I pray for it. I want to see that. I want to see that reflected everywhere I go. And woe to me if I stop that. Woe to me. Woe to me if I'm a whitewashed tomb. Woe to me if I'm a dirty cup or dirty plate. May I answer to that one day. And may I know that the living Christ lives in me lives through me and wants to live in other people as well. I want us all to be empowered this morning as I pray to close. Can you join with me, please? Father God, thank You so much that You work through sinners. What a terrible vehicle for You to to work through, a terrible vessel that You would pick sinners like me to show your glory. It doesn't make sense to my human brain, but I've experienced it. I've tasted and seen that you are good. And so, Father, I want to proclaim that in the lives of everyone this morning, that they will taste and see and remember that you are good, that you can be glorified through us. Why, Lord? because of your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you choose to love other people through us. I pray, Lord, that you'll give us opportunity, that you will help us to see opportunity, that you will help us to create opportunity where you can be glorified, where you can change lives, where we can take ground, where we can be helpful in the spread of your kingdom. We ask that your Holy Spirit will help us to be convicted of sin that's muzzling the work that you have in us. We ask that you will help us to be real and authentic and, and just be humble enough to get rid of that shackle of sin so that we can be more powerful, more effective and allow you to shine through us. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.